This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. This episode of Real Estate is Your Business is powered by Sennheiser, the future of audio. Hi, my name is Zviband, co-founder and CEO of Contactually. What I really love about the real estate industry is while it's the biggest asset class in the world, it is still such an incredibly personal, intimate transaction. It really comes down to the relationship between the agent and their buyer. How do we think about the idea of customer relationships? In real estate, it's a much more intimate transaction. How do we initiate, maintain, and manage those relationships to not only just start, but to be there for a lifetime? In this conversation of Real Estate is Your Business, you'll hear how Contactually is taking a new approach to real estate customer relationships. From New York City, you're listening to Real Estate is Your Business, powered by Preview, a smart online real estate brokerage providing expert advice without the high fees. With real estate tech entrepreneur Thomas Kutzman and business development expert Scott Pollock. Zvi, thanks for joining us today. I'm curious, when you look at the real estate industry, it's different from a lot of other industries. And when you think of, you know, in any industry, sales, leads, customers, um, interacting and connecting with them is the most important thing. How does the real estate industry differ from other lead and customer uh, thought processes? Yeah, I mean, I would actually put it back on you. I don't think the real estate industry is that vastly different from other industries. I mean, I think it's really a spectrum, right? Like if I'm buying, you know, coffee at a coffee shop across the street, yeah, I don't necessarily need to have a relationship with a barista, right? Because it's a simple sale. It's a standardized transaction. I know I'm paying a couple bucks and I'm getting a cup of coffee, right? It's pretty standard. Obviously, on the other hand, you know, you have buying a house, right, or selling a home, right? It's an incredibly complex transaction. It's not a set price. It's not $2 and you get X. It could be $200,000. It could be $5.5 million. The transaction process is not, is not neat and clean, like swipe a credit card and that's it. And so it does become more complex. So I think if you have like buying a cup of coffee on one end and a real estate transaction on the other, it's not to say that there aren't things in between, right? I bought a car a couple months ago. And again, you do a lot of research. You do actually need help from like a sales rep. If um, people are buying contactually for their enterprise, for their entire brokerage, right? It's again, not just like go to the website, pick which plan they want, and that's it. You know, it does require handholding. It does require that personal touch. So I do believe while real estate is an extreme, there are other markets that we've seen that do closely replicate residential real estate. So do you feel that it's, it's the more complex transaction requires a more customized uh, CRM package? Yeah, I believe so. I think like as as the relationship with a customer gets more and more complex, then yeah, the and of course timelines stretch out and how leads come in change um, and the need for a personal relationship does become more exaggerated. Yes, it is important. So yeah, again, going back to that whole idea of the barista, you know, bought a muffin on the way over. Um, you know, it's not necessary that they put me in a CRM because I'm buying one cup of coffee and I'm disappearing, right? 
So I want to take a step back for a second. Yeah. So Contactually is a customer relationship management tool, CRM. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what does that really mean in the context of the real estate world, right? So I know, of course, we can consider CRM a, a software tool to yeah. track customers, but what is customer relationship management as a concept and, and how does Contactually solve for it? Absolutely. So again, going to the whole idea of relation, of residential real estate being this incredibly personal high-touch business where the relationship between an agent and a lead becomes so incredibly important. Um, Therefore, for a real estate agent, especially, let's face it, while it's in a complex transaction, it's become more and more commoditized, right? You can learn how to be a real estate agent. You can learn how to do a transaction and not get sued, you know, relative in a relatively straightforward way. So really what a real estate agent has is their competitive advantage these days, as their only competitive advantage these days, is their relationship, is their ability to build and maintain that relationship. CRM and customer relationship management is the technology and the practice behind keeping those relationships strong. And so if we think back to, you know, let's call it traditional norms of of keeping alive a relationship. Like I bought a house about four years ago and I yeah. still get a Christmas card every year from the broker that we use. Mm-hmm. Then. I mean, that seems like the way of, of customer relationship management in the past. Like what's different about it now than it was, you know, over the years past. Yeah. I mean, I think, and this is what we're seeing again, real estate is, you know, is unique in some way, but there obviously are similarities. And I think real estate has been disrupted by uh, by the change of technology and the change of the economy more and more over time, sure. right? So, for example, you know, most people don't necessarily understand this or realize this, but there are around 1.2 million real estate agents in the U.S. In 1970, there were 100,000, mm. right? Um, in it used to be like when our parents were buying their buying houses. Like I remember, like helping my parents shop for a house, and they would get faxes every day. Of the listings, and that was the only way you knew what was on the market, yeah, right? Sure. So it used to be that the agent had the upper hand. It used to be that there were few agents, so you would work with the one agent that you knew. So not only are there more agents these days, but they no longer have the access to the only information out there, right? I can go on Zillow or Redfin or my brokerage website and find what I need. So therefore, free. yeah. So the knowledge gap has disappeared. The skills gap has disappeared. So the only gap there is between one agent and another is the relationship they have with you. That So I think, again, agents have always been very, very good relationship builders. But I think now it's become all the more important that they build and maintain that relationship, right? I uh, I heard this morning the, the great line that a, um, a lead is just um, a person, a, like a past buyer, that the agent never followed up with, mm. right? Another agent never followed up yeah, with me. Yeah, exactly, right? You know, because, like, I, I, I'm i a lead for a couple other agents now. Why? Because my agent, you know, bought me a breadboard after we closed on my condo five years ago yeah. and hasn't spoken to me since. I don't know. I, I barely even remember her, her name anymore. Yeah. So, of course, when it comes time to, like, you know, to look at another house, you know, I'm I'm a lead for other people now. Right. Now, obviously, you know, Scott, you had, you know, your Christmas card experience. V, you had you got this nice breadboard as a, as a gift from your agent. Um, but that continuing that relationship is far more digital than it was before. And you know, you're not hearing back from from your you know, previous uh, agent. How. How does Contactually differ from other uh, CRMs, like for example, Mailchimp or Constant Contact? What's 
What's unique about a real estate dedicated CRM? Yeah, I mean, I think a, a few things. One is I, I would note here that like one of the dirty secrets about Contactually is while we are, you know, and I'm thankful that we're ranked as one of the best brokerages or what best CRMs for real estate brokerages, um, and we work with thousands of real estate agents around the country, um, we also serve other markets too. So like there are many best practices that are cross-pollinated. Um, I do think that where we focus on separating ourselves is most CRM solutions um, have either focused on just large lists of people and like blasting out to a large database all at once, um, or they focused on requiring the agent to do lots of manual data entry. And so we start off by realizing, well, most agents are are in fact communicating via digital means, right? Yeah, like they may buy you a breadboard or a bottle of Jack Daniels, but they're also sending you emails and text messages and um, talking on social media. So why can't a CRM, instead of requiring you manually enter information, why can't we proactively retrieve that? And instead of requiring you send that same monthly newsletter that everyone else is getting, you know, via MailChimp or Constant Contact, again, great products, but everyone's using them these days. Instead, what if we were proactively helping you identify through intelligent manners the people that you should talk to today and then helping you go and do that? So does that mean that you guys have some unique data that suggests that this is this is somebody that you've talked to in the past, you should talk to again or another way to kind of give you that indicator that these are the people who yeah. are going to be warmer than others? Yeah, the, the cool thing is the unique data is the data that you already have, right? So we again, we start off with this idea of how can we reduce data entry to little to nothing, right? So we start off by looking at your email conversations, phone calls, text messages, calendar appointments, social media exchanges. But from there, that's really where we focus on innovating. And this whole idea of an intelligence CRM came about is the keyword is intelligence. Like, how can we take that data, which isn't really that unique? You know, it's there, right? It's in our Google inboxes. It's in our calendars. It's in our phone. But how can we deliver intelligence on top of it by saying, hey, you probably completely forgot about this referral that you got three months ago. Why don't you talk to them today? Right? And is there something unique about that process for the real estate world, right? Obviously, the CRM world, there's it's, it's a big universe of, of, of software vendors yeah. that offer CRM. But you guys are one of the few that's really explicitly focusing on the real estate industry. So is there anything unique there that that you guys are kind of finding is, is serving that industry well? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the interesting things about um, the, our focus on intelligent CRM is just being smart in real estate doesn't matter. There are lots of really, really great tools that no one is going to use out there, right? And yeah. so it's not just about being intelligent. It really is about getting people to actually use the software. And to me, maybe to, to a point earlier, that is one of the biggest differences between real estate and other industries because the vast majority of real estate agents are independent contractors, right? right? right. You know, I and my company, if I was implementing a CRM in my company, I could say, hey, you're all W-2 employees. You use this or you are fired, right? right? This is how you're paid. That's right. how most CRMs are deployed, right? Whether you like it or not, this is just what you have to use. And most right? people generally, in my experience, using CRMs, they they're not the most, uh, yeah. you know, and it's true. And, friendly tools. And therefore, the CRMs, they're sold to the CEO, right? They're not sold to the end user, right? They're not trying to get the end user to use the software because the end user has a gun to their head, right? They can't use it. Whereas in real estate, every individual agent can choose 
what they do. They can choose whether they go to their brokerage meetings. They can choose whether they're working with that broker anymore. They can choose how they structure a contract. They can choose what software they use. And so to have an intelligent CRM isn't good enough. So where we have had to invest way more than other CRMs is almost we have to trick the user into using the CRM that helps them with their business. It has to serve them as an end user, not not the reporting that goes up to the yeah. CEO. And I mean, and one of the bigger challenges is they knew they know it's important, right? Every real estate agent knows that CRM is important. However, again, this is something that's become even more exacerbated um, in a social media enabled, connected, notification driven world, right? Yeah, I've been sitting here and my phone is blowing up with God knows what, right? Um, and the important differentiator is we are so stuck in the urgent these days and agents are so stuck in dealing what's urgent that little time is left over for what's important. Right. And so a CRM is frankly, it's not urgent. You don't need to use it today or tomorrow or the next day, but you have to use it. And so we've had to invest a lot of time in saying, hey, Mr. Agent, you know, I know it's important for you and your team to do this. I know you've got a lot of other things going on. How do we make this as simple for you to use as possible and engaging for you to use? When when you mentioned the independent contractor relationship, yeah. when you go in to pitch the idea of contractually, are you pitching directly to the brokerage and then all of their agents have the option to use it? Or are you able to sign up as an individual agent? like, my brokerage doesn't use it. I want to use contextual. Yeah, so both. Um, so uh, the DNA of the company is to always be user first. So we focus not on whoever's paying the bills, but whoever is actually using the software. But nowadays, uh, you know, it's uh, it's not necessarily well known, but um, seven of the um, 20 biggest brokerages in the country are customers of ours. You know, we work with um, really great ones like Pacific Union or Douglas Elliman or um, Zephyr Realty out in California. We work with a number of really great ones. But again, they can buy Contaxi for their whole brokerage, but they still are relying on every individual agent to opt in and say, hey, I want to use this. Right. Yeah, I mean, it makes me wonder because a lot of these traditional agencies, they charge desk fees, they charge yeah. – they, there's an upsell for every sort of product or service you use. There's an upsell. So – um, how do you communicate the value proposition to each individual agent, even if you're getting it at a broker enterprise level? Yeah, absolutely. And that, that, that is something we definitely think a lot about and spend a lot of time on because, you know, the stats out there are atrocious, right? You know, I think according to NAR, um, around 6% of agents in a brokerage will use the software provided by brokerage. Like that's on average, which is it's pretty disastrous, shocking. right? It's pretty, Imagine pretty if shocking. you know I bought software and only six percent of my you know of my team used it. I'd throw it out. But in real estate, that's the norm. Um, so to get upwards of seventy-five to eighty percent adoption, which is what we see, um, one you know you obviously have to have a product that's engaging enough that a user might use it, even if their brokerage wasn't providing it. Um, two, you have to have really great training, and so we're thankful that the brokerage we partner with care a lot about training their agents and providing that great value. And three, it is an ongoing process, right? It is this you know, um, circuitous thing of getting those first you know, champion users, getting their stories, getting the data about how it improves their gross commissionable income, and then sharing that back out to people and making sure that, you know, I'm blasting out to our world, you know, talking about the value of contactually. So then they're able to then go back home and say, oh, 
well, my brokerage is providing this for me already. This is awesome, right? Um, so we spent a lot of time about that. But training, brand, and then ease of use, you know, those are that's the magical trio for us. You know, we spent a fair amount of time over the course of this show yeah. uh, talking about the relationship between brokerages and the agents themselves. And so, you know, and even here we talk a little bit about the product that you guys have is serving the agent. But what about the value to the brokerage? Because you're saying that is who you sell into. Yeah. What value are they getting out of having more than 6% of their agents using this product? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a really great question. Um, so a brokerage is using us, is deploying contactually um, for one of two reasons. Now, remember, the you know their desk fees and other things to help offset costs. But the main way a broker gets money is, you know, they, uh, you know, is you know, the is based off commission splits, you know, more often than not, right? So, and remember, you know, that's like a finite muffin, right? Um, you know, they like they get that and that can be split up in any number of ways between an agent or a team, right? Um, and you know, and then of course the brokerage. And so to really break that down into a very in a very clear way, right? You know, um either a broker can you know, provide uh, either a broker can buy contactually um, to aid with recruiting and retention, right? To bring in more commissions, more muffins in, or they can use it to actually increase um, production. So if they can help their agents, and we've been able to track it that we, on average, we can help even in one year, help the average agent in a brokerage increase their production by 40%, which of course leads to bigger muffins, right? So that's really how we think about it. But Again, the challenge with a broker is, you know, they're only able to make, you know, to get so much percentage of a co- of a commission. Right. When you look at agents and in in this idea of the split model, and you you said you mentioned the forty percent increase in business by using the service, if the numbers are that compelling, why wouldn't the brokerage, you know, force uh, or encourage the? Uh, let me. Let me force the user to use the CRM if it's that compelling of a value proposition. Yeah, I mean that goes back to the big, to the one of the core challenges um in real estate these days and real estate technology is that when there are 1099 contractors, they cannot be forced to use software, right? And so a brokerage can never say you know there are some like tricks they have that can kind of you know try and increase adoption like saying hey you're only going to get these leads um if you use their crm etc but like really a brokerage does cannot force um or instantiate you know they really basically need to allow you know an agent to use whatever tools they want to use and so that is the core issue so they need those stories they need those things about production because they need a um basically convince the agents saying, hey, we're providing this tool for you free of charge or built into your commission splits or tech fees, but there's incentive for you to use it. And uh, well, this is all great stuff. You keep mentioning muffins and it's making me kind of hungry. And we have the tradition on the show of snack time and you've been kind enough to bring a snack for us. Uh, what did you uh, What did you bring there? Well, yes, to dem- to demonstrate the uh, to demonstrate the whole idea of you know and you know the commission splits you know are this finite thing that's split up. I did bring one muffin, one muffin that we're going to share. I know I'm not stingy. It's just I just want to demonstrate representative. It. Yeah. I respect now remember, like I did try and bring a local food, but like in DC, so where, where like, is local? So we're based in Washington D.C. and DC, like yo, know, they're known for like two things. Like one is like 
chicken wings covered covered in mumbo sauce. I don't think you want day old chicken wings, <laughs> or like crab cakes. And again, crab cakes on a train overnight. You don't want to be that guy day. bringing the uh, the crab cakes across a five hour train ride. Yeah, there's enough of a flu epidemic in New York New York City. I don't necessarily need to in- introduce more sickness. I, for I thought Washington epidemic. was a more of a McDonald's town with the with the new administration. <laughs> That's, yes, uh, all of us love our 6.30 p.m. cheeseburgers as well. So, Let's dig into this muffin. Yeah, let's check, right. out, this, uh, check out this muffin. <laughs> and, uh, and when we come back, uh, we'll go uh, a little bit deeper into your views on the industry, where the idea of real estate brokerage is going, uh, and how Contactual is a part of it. Cool. We'll be right back. Love it. Are you looking to buy a home in New York City? Get more with Preview's industry-leading smart buyer rebate. Seamlessly search listings on Preview's end-to-end buyer platform, purchase your home with the expert advice of a local agent, plus receive up to 2% cash back thanks to Preview's smart buyer commission rebate. Smart buyers get more with Preview. Go to previewapp.com backslash buyer. That's previewapp.com backslash buyer. Zvi, we've been talking a lot about contextually and CRMs, uh, but you're at a unique vantage point with your interactions with brokerages, and and I'm sure your product team is very engaged with users. Mm -hmm. What are the biggest pain points and frustrations that both the brokerage and agents have currently. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny you'd be talking about this because when we found a contactually six years ago, I would have, if you told me, hey, six years from now, you're going to be on a podcast talking about the real estate industry and you know, sharing the knowledge I've gained over the past you know, six years, I'd say you're out of your mind. But here we are today. Um, you know, it, it is interesting. I mean, I think we are I think the real estate industry is always in flux, but I think there's a lot of change happening now. Um, there's a lot of concern about um, technology coming in and replacing the agent. You know, people are worried about Redfin or iBuyers like Open Door or what is Zillow doing and Compass buying, you know, buying up huge swaths of the market. There's a lot of change, but I think the core challenge is is um, the the balance of power and revenue and everything between a brokerage and an agent or an agent team, um, that is in flux, right? It used to be that a broker held all the power and agent was just, you know, a subsidiary of the broker. That over the past, you know, 15, 20 years or so has flipped polarity. And now, you know, when we talk to brokers, you know, they're brokers who clearly see the path. And are kind of like are trading towards it because they've done enough thinking and talking the market. We see brokers who are you know very much stuck in their model and they're not moving, and then some brokers who frankly are you know in a you know kind of state of you know coming to Jesus and understanding well, you know where where am I in this? What what is that path you're describing? 
meaning that you know the there's some brokerages that you know are on one on some ends you know going completely commission only right mm-hmm. or you know 100 commission brokerages where a agent keeps 100 the commission and they're able to make the margin make their margins work really well through like other means of uh recouping it like a per transaction fee or um or some, or, some of them do like a franchise fee as an agent yeah like or right. additional or additional services that they're ab- able to add on um some of them do you know, provide like more full service options, right? Meaning like you come to us and we handle your transaction management. We'll handle, you know, we'll help you with mortgage. We'll help you with technology, not just giving you technology, but actually teaching you how to use it. You know, the ones in the middle where they're saying, hey, I'm going to do the same thing I was doing yesterday, um, just like every other industry, that's not existing anymore, you know, where it used to be like, you know, I could, you know, have a 20,000 square foot office, you know, have a bunch of desks, agent would rent a desk, we'd take a percent of the commission, and whoever showed up and sold a deal, like, great, that'd be it. Um, so I think we're seeing a number of models emerge, but what matters is you have to pick a horse. Right? And do you think that's kind of that, that dynamic that's shifting the different paths available to kind of manage the agent brokerage relationship? How is that affecting the the tools that serve one or the other, like yourselves, right? Like it seems like there's, uh, while there's some legacy structures, the 1099 contractor structure that imposes certain restrictions, there's opportunities at the same time that this new paradigm can create to to serve one end or the other. Well, there's some obvious things, right? You know, I I talked to a brokerage a couple months ago that still was paying $300,000 a year for the desk phones, that no one used because everyone's got this and they're not near a desk to take a desk phone, right? You know, so they're obviously like obvious things like that. But what really matters is the brokerage is becoming all the more focused on making sure that they are providing value to agents in every way. They're not just providing baseline tools saying, hey, come to come to us. We have technology, but we have the best technology, the proven technology, the right underlying systems of that connect the technology and teach you how to use it, et cetera, that will make you more productive by being here. Right. Another another example is, um, you know, we've seen over the past uh, 10 years or so the incredible rise of these agent teams. Right. And agent teams now, you know, a top producing team can sometimes be, you know, double digit percentage of a brokerage's you know, overall like revenue production. And so that becomes all the more important to make sure that you're servicing these teams. And so we're thankful that we're actually seeing, you know, through Contactually and other tools that brokerages are now having their agent teams actually adopt the software provided by the brokerage, um, which wasn't happening in other cases. So I think it really comes down to. Again, the broker has to be all the more focused on making sure that they're providing value to the agent. Otherwise, the agent will find someone else that, you know, will provide them a better commission split and be gone. And if the if the agent is increasingly kind of in charge of their own relationships with the customers, what are those kind of other sources of value that that the the agent, the brokerage can provide such that the broke the agent might ultimately just go off on their own and, and start their own thing and everyone becomes fully independent yeah absolutely and i mean you're right i mean think again you know maybe you know 15 years ago the 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 relationship was more about with the brokerage right you care more about seeing that remax or kel williams brand on an agent now it's really like the agent can build and maintain their own brand because they've got the relationships they've got the web presence etc um 
so where so yeah it does all come down to that relationship between the agent and the client or the prospective client or the past client um where brokerage can add value is again you know the training around how to build and maintain better relationships the technology uh, making sure that that transaction process is as smooth as possible making sure they're supportive in every way to ensure that they're a- that their agents are able to build the best relationships right um, and again, you know, um, there there is this you know kind of um, well-standing adage: um, "Culture eats strategy for breakfast," and that is becoming all the more important. Where you know, you want to provide that kind of tribal mentality and that tribal culture within a brokerage, and again, that is by saying, "Hey, we're giving you the best tools, we're giving you the best technology, we're giving you the best training. This is a this is something you want to be a part of." Why do you think? Brokerages haven't tried to build their own CRMs. Is it because of the 1099 risk or is is there another reason? Yeah, I mean, I think there are brokerages who have done it. And I think some that are doing it really well. You know, they may not necessarily publish it or advertise it unless they're trying to recruit. Um, they're obviously very big technology plays like Compass Locally, you know, where they're saying, hey, we are building an end-to-end solution. Redfin, um, according to people who have like kind of seen it, has some of the best tools on the market. But obviously everyone there is a W-2, so it's slightly different. Um, I think it is because, you know, the, the margins aren't there and technology is really hard, right? And a uh, broker has needed to focus on recruiting and retaining their agents, um, building out the systems, right? You know, they, you know, contactually, we've invested probably upwards of, you know, eight or nine million dollars of, you know, of investment over the past six years to build out the platform that we have today. That's hard for the average broker to cough up and say, "Hey, we're going to invest in this." You know, when you think about the the landscape of the real estate industry and how it's, yeah evolving more broadly with technology starting to, to change things. You know, to that point you just made about how technology is hard, real estate focused companies, you know, they're not going to spend their nine million dollars investing in technology. Do you think it goes the other way around? Do technology companies see an opportunity to be in the real estate game more directly? And is that a pathway that they can invest in? Yeah, you know, there's always like there, you know, you see open conversations about Brokerage be, brokerages becoming technology companies, or you know, technology companies becoming brokerages. Like you know, Compass was pitched as a technology platform that happens to be a brokerage. That was one of their very early pitches. Um, and I don't think I think it's like you know, like you know, largely kind of a moot point. I mean, so for example, for us, you know, theoretically, yes, like you know, we understand so much about the real estate industry that we could go out and become real estate agents or become a brokerage ourselves. I think, but however, like we solve such a small part of the transaction that we want to know what else to do. Yeah, it's it's interesting what Compass is, has done as far as their branding, their marketing, and you know, obviously one of their recent fundraising rounds. I don't know if it was the most recent with SoftBank or before that, but they've even talked about that they're building their own internal CRM. So it is interesting to see how that's that's going to play out. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, uh, I mean, the cool thing again, you know, going back to what I mentioned very early on is that real estate is the largest asset class in the world, and so there should be lots of different 
darts thrown at the board and different kinds of things. So again, if I were to start a brokerage, I wouldn't necessarily just kind of start like a, another Me Too brokerage out there that's doing the same thing. You know, I'd probably be out there too saying, hey, how can we completely flip the model on its head? How can we do something completely different than everyone else? And I think some of the newer entrants that we're seeing are taking that, which I think is pretty exciting. Yeah, no, I'd have to, I'd have to agree on that. I mean, conceptually, um, you know, for preview, we actually give money back to clients in a, mm-hmm. in a much more significant, meaningful way compared to like what Redfin used to or attempted to do. Yeah, um, we actually try to give back two percent. So we're, you know, I'm a big believer. You know, preview is a big believer in, you know, changing that concept rather than just pursuing another Me Too technology approach. And, and that's what, and that's what is so cool about what y'all are doing and what we see others in the market and doing. Again, I don't necessarily look at it as like, oh my God, this is most likely going to fail or, you know, oh, like, yo, this is going to destroy the market. You know, I'm thinking excited, like, wow, what if this works? That's going to be so cool. That's going to change everything, right? You even touched on the iBuyer market, yeah. like Open Door, OfferPad, uh, Knock. Mm-hmm. What do you what do you think about those those concepts? Oh, I think they're cool, right? Like again, I think you know they are. Will they completely replace you know, all real estate agents? No, I don't necessarily think out there. But again, you know, for servicing the market where you know I just like where it isn't a complex sale or it's a complex sale that could be templated out enough um, where a you know where the buyer isn't saying hey I want to get the best you know best value for my dollar but they want to say like no I just want to get out of this I just want the money in my bank account in 30 days I don't care what happens it, it, it those pro- kind of things are really cool right it provides a nice convenience and it's the achievable portion of the market without their fee structure coming down because people are still paying you know full freight commission to sell their home uh, but it is a nice convenience to be able to type in your address yeah. and sell your home. But at, at what cost, what premium are you paying for that additional convenience, right? Because you're paying the commission of 6% plus you're getting some sort of spread versus what you may have gotten by listing it on yeah. the market. And, so, that's, and again, that spread, you know, and they, I think they are nowadays are charging actually like higher commission percentages, again, you know, for that speed. But yeah, there's also the biggest thing is, you know, could, it could work with an agent. Yeah, it may have taken – Two months more, but you could have made an additional like, you know, 5% more on the value of the house versus the walk away price, right? Again, so I think I don't look at those and go, oh, my God, they're destroying the market. I think they're solving a part of the market that may have been broken, right? You know, because if someone just wanted to walk away from their house right now and just say, hey, give me some cash, um, you know, you know, for to work with an agent may have seemed like an overly arduous process, right? <laughs> Speaking of things that are broken, do you think there's anything else in the real estate industry that, that's broken that you think is in need of being fixed, that you see opportunities for other entrepreneurs and technologists to come and solve? Yeah, I mean, I think there are, there are a number, number of problems out there. And again, this is what you'll see in a largely um, – in such a large industry where it is so heavily regulated. I mean, I think you you talk to anyone who touches any kind of MLS feed or listing data or anything like that. And everyone knows it's a mess, right? You know, why should the how the MLS works and how to get data, why should be so siloed off between, you know, Miami and Fort Lauderdale, right? You know, those are now like two completely different MLSs. There are places in the country where you could be standing in one spot at a house and there are five MLSs touching it, all with different data standards. I think that's a big problem. Um, I do think, you know, the one of the big issues is this whole 1099 status, which 
as you think about long term, it may not make sense, right? We may look be looking back on this in 20 years and go, haha, remember when we did that? Um, and you know, you may be looking at you know a time where agent teams that are actual companies, you know, are standing are standing out somewhere. So I think there are a number of really interesting models that I wouldn't necessarily say things are broken per se. Um, because obviously, like, you know, there's $80 billion in commissions that happened last year, right? Um, I think there's a lot of room for improvement. Yeah. And what you said about the MLS is if you're getting licensed at a state level, the fact that there's these smaller associations where back in the day when you didn't have things like Zillow and aggregators, and it made sense to have these local associations that almost like traded cards around what the listings were. Yeah. But the fact that you're state level licensing but don't have state level one mls per state it's just it's it's still very surprising yeah i mean i think there are there are a lot of these opportunities i mean that's actually like the complexity around mls is you know we are while i'm thankful that we're ranked as one of the top real estate crms we made the very specific decision to not integrate with mls feeds or data or listings or anything like that at least for the moment that may change because of the complexity right because of the data standards and how it's locked up. Um, I think one of the big other bigger things is, you know, it should be relatively straightforward, right? You know, once you know that a, like once, you know, you've agreed on contract, right? It takes 30 to 60 days to close after that, right? Um, I know that's one of the biggest pain points that I'm actually surprised there aren't more people attacking, right? How does that 30 day close process become seven, right? That'd be game changing. Right, and even if you've if you've ever gone to a closing and see how many hours are wasted with you know paperwork signing with, in the world of docu you know DocuSign yeah. Dot Loop, the fact that there's not one system where everybody types in their numbers, the banks type in plug into the system. Why can't their closing take thirty yeah. minutes? Oh, it's a nightmare. And the funny thing is, remember the transaction like is there, right? You know, everyone all sides have agreed like on the price, right? You know, everything's good. It should be relatively straightforward, right? I couldn't imagine if, you know, we had a deal with like once all the terms are there and once everything's set, you know, we have to wait 60 days before a customer becomes a customer. That wouldn't necessarily make sense for us. So I think uh I think there's a lot of innovation and I would push, you know, any entrepreneur, you know, looking at solving a problem in the space. It's, you know, what happens after, you know, that offer signed, right? I had one last question as, as applies to contextually. When people think about CRMs, they think purely about email. How do you think about integration with social media and, and other forms of communication? And like now that we're going to the next generation that is more DM focused yeah. than email focused. Yeah, I mean, I think we're... The core thing that Contactually helps with is you know, with relationship marketing, right? How do you market yourself to your relationships in an effective way? And you're right. I think email is the uni universal platform. Pretty much everyone out there has an email address. That's the way you reach people. That's the way you communicate files and documents, et cetera. Um, but going to the core tenet of relationship marketing you know, it's not just about, you know, making sure you email them every 30 days. It's making sure you add value to them. Um, it's making sure you demonstrate your value, whether it's, you know, stopping by in person, having a phone call, meeting for coffee, sending a handwritten card, um, you know, sending an email, making an introduction. It's adding value. And so, yeah, from uh, from the very beginning, you know, we, we want to capture as much as we can, right? So we'll look at your calendar to see who you're meeting with. We'll look at your phone to see who you're calling. But yeah, social media. 
media is something that you know we've you know, had to invest in or figure out how you solve, right? Because no matter what, we just want to make sure you're talking to them. We want to make sure you're relevant to them, um, and that means you know following up and adding value um, in a clear way. It's not just all right, send an email day thirty. Great. We as much as we love talking about real estate and technology, yeah, we do like to take time to get a little more personal with our guests and. When we come back, we're going to dig a little deeper and learn more about you as a person. I'm terrified. Be right back. (laughs) The superior audio quality on Mouth Media Network is powered by Sennheiser. And as a listener, you can receive a 25% discount on virtually any headphone, microphone, and other high-quality audio product available to purchase directly on the Sennheiser website. Just visit Sennheiser.com and enter the code MOUTHMEDIASEN, that's MOUTHMEDIA, S-E-N-N, at checkout. Keep up with the show on Instagram and Facebook at Real Estate Biz Show and with hashtag MouthMedia. Plus, check out all of the MouthMedia Network shows at MouthMediaNetwork.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Zvi, uh, we've had a great conversation so far about real estate and, and all the great things that Contactual is doing to help improve uh, real estate broker experiences because some. I'm sure uh, it's helping a lot of Americans out there when they're buying homes and dealing with uh, their uh, brokerage experience. Uh, but now we're at the the point in our conversation where we like to ask you more personal questions. And uh, I'm going to kick it to Scott. I have a very to put him on the pressing spot. question. If you're me. asking what my favorite flavor of muffin is, we already know it's blueberry. That is okay. actually exactly the question I was going to ask okay. you. So, cool. Tom, back to you. <laughs> So you you were you mentioned earlier that you're you mentioned earlier that you're uh, you're based out of D.C. Yeah. Uh, whether you're a you know conservative you know or liberal Democrat or Republican, I'm curious how the how has the environment changed down there uh, as someone that lives there. You know, I love it. Um, there's uh, I think one of the things that I think people need to understand about Washington D.C is there are two DCs. There's the DC you see on C-SPAN, right? Which, let's face it right now, is a little bit of a dumpster fire. Um, and then there's the DC that people live in, right? You know, it's a great place to live. There's a thriving tech community, art community. Um, you have a lot of people working for the government, you know, from, you know, 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. They walk off, throw off the suit, and, you know, they're working in coffee shops, right? You know, I think there's, a, it's a, beautiful place to live and really great, incredibly intelligent culture out there. Um, And so largely, yes, you know, I was affected just like any American, um, you know, regardless of your political stance, you know, there's definitely a change. Um, Yes, you know, free like, you know, now when you see a uh, uh, presidential motorcade, you know, some people may cheer and some people may do things the complete opposite of cheering, right? You know, Um, but for us, you know, it's, uh, 
it hasn't really affected things, right? You know, we still go to work every day. It's still a beautiful place to live, so not much change. Now, you're originally from down there, or what made you choose Washington, D.C.? No, so I uh, I was actually born in Boston, then raised in Southern California in San Diego. Um, so I didn't even see snow until I was 16 years old. Um, but no, my uh, my father was an astrophysicist, and so we followed him across no big the deal. country. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, big shoes to fill there. Um, so he uh, he ended up getting a job at NASA, which brought us across the country. Your dad was, in fact, a rocket scientist. Did in that... fact, he has he uh, he has a button, in fact. Yes. <laughs> Does it make it uh, you know, hard for him to, to defend doing tasks around the home? Like, you know, it's not like a rocket scientist job. Uh, that, that definitely it's was a challenge for sure. Yes. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you about contextually. So I know we, we talked a little bit about this before, but yeah. you know, real estate is an area that you kind of evolved into, you know, in the, tell us about the early days. How did it start? How have you found the entrepreneurial journey um, to get to where you guys with contextually are today? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think one of the interesting things about contextually is uh, we didn't start this off focusing on real estate. I knew nothing about real estate, you know, hadn't even like bought or sold a place yet, knew nothing about it. Um, but now, of course, you know, real estate is the majority of our business. Um, we started this off because I actually saw personally in my own career, this knowledge that my relationships were the best asset that I had as a person who I knew, and more importantly, who knew me, that was going to be, frankly, my meal ticket for the rest of my life. Um, but knowing who to talk to, when to talk to them, what to say, that was a challenge I couldn't solve. And so we set off in 2011 thinking about, well, how could technology help us with that? Um, and it was only you know, a few months after we started that we started seeing, all right, you know, we have this interesting cohort of real estate agents using us. We know nothing about real estate. Let's talk to them and understand. And we learned you know, that it's a huge market. It's a huge industry. Um, there are lots of agents. Um, most technology that is um, one or two generations behind other industries. Um, cool. Let's go after it. And so that's been really exciting for us. And, and you mentioned the word relationship, which you know can be looked at a lot of different ways. Yeah. What is the most meaningful professional relationship uh, you've had? Um, I could give the cop out answer and say, "Oh, my relationship with my employees," right? Um, but I mean that has been really important for us. You know, for me, it's I didn't set off saying, "Hey, I'm going to build a network." I didn't necessarily know what a network was. And even going to networking events, you know, they made me just physically ill going to them. I'm, I'm an introverted software developer by trade. Um, but what I learned is, you know, I started going to these events in D.C. and just made friends, you know, just because I just kind of glom on to someone and say, hey, you're my friend now, right? Like, yeah, we're just kind of hanging out. And over the years, those people ended up like moving to different jobs. And, you know, when it came time, like their, you know, their company would say, hey, we need a really good developer. Um, do you know anyone? Oh, I'm friends with V. Let me let me introduce him. So those friends um, ended up becoming this amazing resource for me. And uh, so I think, you know, I would probably say it's, you know, my friends, you know, not necessarily any one relationship. So it sounds like you made a pretty big transition to go from, as you said, introverted software developer to being, you know, the public face of a, of a company as a CEO. Yeah. So what were some of the, the things you experienced along that way and, and how how hard or easy was that? You know, one of the funny tricks I've, I've learned is when you look at a lot of the really great public speakers out there or the, quote, great connectors, when you actually meet them in person, talk to them, they're self-professed introverts. 
right? But what matters is when it comes to speaking, when it comes to building relationships, right? It's it's not natural to them. Therefore, they've actually put more effort into strategy and thinking, how do I present myself and how do I add value and how do I make connections? Um, you know, so it, that has been a challenge. But yeah, I mean, the... I think one of the things I've learned is, um, you know, most people won't. Most people won't make that transition. Most people won't make that jump. And so making that reminder to myself and saying, all right, therefore, I'm going to be that person that does, that does step out of my shell. um, That's been really powerful for me. That actually makes sense to me because, you know, the definition of an introvert is someone who, 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 was an extrovert gets energy from being around other people and their relationships. Yeah. An introvert gets is the opposite, drained by that experience. So it's interesting that a company, you know, you lead a company that is focused on the relationship itself. And so it sounds like the the idea there is that you're you personally might find the experience of building and managing relationships something that tires you over time. But the formulating companies that help do that more effectively is actually where your passion is. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm, remember, I built Contaction because I needed technology to help me with that, right? I'm not naturally a networker, right? I am much happier in a one-on-one coffee with someone, getting to know them in an intimate way where I can kind of let my guard down um, versus working a room of 500 people. Um, And so that's been a really important thing for me to understand. Well, I think you actually make a good point. Like I, I would say I'm pretty naturally extroverted. I gain energy by, you know, by being with people and, and, and groups, but I still find that 500 person networking events are, are often a waste of time mm-hmm. and you don't really build organic, natural relationships the way you do it exactly what you just said, having coffee, having intimate conversations with people, and then adding the factor of time. Yeah. And that's is, what is that it. how you got into podcasting there, Scott? That's it. That's how I did it. Yeah. I mean, most people, I actually, think you know, the, the interesting thing is like most people, um, you know, you walk into a networking event, you know, 500 or so people and, you know, you meet a lot of people, exchange a lot of business cards. Um, and then what happens, you know, the next time you see those business cards is when you pull them soaking wet out of the laundry because you're like, oh, put them in my pocket, completely forgot about them. Right. That's a very big problem that we face. Um, and so I think that's where, you know, introverts or people who do have the process and structure in place can say, all right. I'm not just going to connect with them on LinkedIn afterwards. I'm not just going to send them an email, but I'm actually going to choose of these people who do I build a relationship with them and then go and build that relationship. I think the the idea of, of networking in the way that you described, which I think is a very common way to think about it, collecting business cards, et cetera, is something that, that leads people to think about relationships sometimes in the wrong way. Yep. It, um, almost, it takes a lot more than just collecting a business card. It'd almost be great if you had a pin that was a microphone that serviced much like an Alexa or a Google Home that automatically input it into your contextually database. Uh, believe me, I would love to have things like that. Coming and you remember like when bump existed, like when you could like bump, bump your phones phone, yeah. um, to like, you know, exchange information. There still is yet to be a replacement for the business card. Like I, I admittedly am pessimistic. I'm like, I don't think there's really going to be a replacement for the business card. Well, it sounds like the, to me, the business card is irrelevant. It is literally just a means to find your contact info, which you can do a hundred ways. Exactly. It's what you do with that contact info and that relationship once you have it. Exactly. Which is why I don't think it's a big enough problem to solve. Right. So yeah. if only there were tools to manage relationships with customers. And others. We should and, find one. And if you, if you met people at an event and you didn't have a meaningful enough conversation where you can remember their name and you can't look them up on LinkedIn or some other oh, form, like you probably didn't have a meaningful enough conversation just to like oh thanks for your business card exactly like you know maybe you see them again and everything like that so yeah i mean you know i'm at i'm at a conference in new york right now and i'm running into a lot of people that again you know 
I didn't necessarily remember them after the first interaction. And the second interaction, okay, maybe then you kind of pass it by the filter that's worth having a deeper conversation with. I just had an experience the other day when I saw somebody at a coffee shop. We bumped into each other. We knew, I knew I knew him, but I yeah. didn't know where. And then I got the sense that he knew he knew me, but he didn't know where. But we both faked it. So to like, hey, you, what's up? How are you? Good, good to see you. We should have coffee. Yeah, send me an email. And we both walked away. I have no idea the other person. Yeah, you know, I, I do have this. Yes, that happened probably three times today. Um, but one of the things I've had to be comfortable with is saying, hey, I think we've met. Remind me of your name. And those like two or three lines, that's been like one of the hardest things for me as an introvert to get over. The sure. whole like, yes, I know I should know who you are. I don't. I'm so sorry. But um, that honesty probably goes a long way. I think so. Hopefully, hopefully with some or others, they're like, oh, look, he's a jackass and forgot who I am. No, I think that makes a good point. I'm like, like, I sometimes regret having those experiences and not being like, I'm sorry. Uh, I'll blame myself. I've got a bad memory or for faces or what have you. But like, I'm sorry, remind me of your name. And then after, if I do remember, then instant recall. But yep. being transparent in a relationship is a fundamental tenet of good relationships. And I think you make a good point. Yep. Well, V, this has been a, a great conversation. And we... At the end of every conversation, we offer you a moment to share a, a thought with us, uh, what you'd like to share with the listeners as a final thought. Yeah, I mean, I think for better or for worse, if you look at the rankings of trust factors of real estate, um, real estate agents aren't necessarily thought very highly of like by you know, by the average consumer. But to me, I think that's a hidden opportunity, right? Because again, you know, real estate is the biggest asset class in the world. Um, it's still an incredibly personal transaction. There is so much room for improvement opportunity, um, whether you're an agent trying to change their processes, a broker trying to develop new models, or, you know, technologists like the three of us here to kind of think about, you know, what are new approaches to help us solve the real estate problem. So I think it's a, an incredibly exciting problem. Um, I definitely welcome uh, anyone to contact me. Um, obviously, if you're an agent or team or broker, you're, of course, more than welcome to reach out to us. Um, we're Contactually. Just contact and actually put together Contactually.com or at Contactually on Twitter, Instagram, um, or reach out to me. Um, you know, you can literally just Google ZVBand, Z-V-I-B-A-N-D. Um, there's only one of us, thank God. Uh, I'm pretty easy to find on all the socials. Excellent. So, yeah, we encourage uh, you know listeners to uh, reach out to Zv. And uh, we, uh, as always, thank you for listening. And for Scott. Bye, everyone. I'm Tom, and this is Real Estate Is Your Business. You've been listening to Real Estate Is Your Business. To suggest guests or content for this show or to become a sponsor, email us at realestatebizshow at mouthmedianetwork.com. Keep up with the show on social media at Real Estate Biz Show. That's Real Estate B-I-Z Show. Episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, along with our website, realestateisyourbusiness.com. Produced by Mouth Media Network and brought to you by Preview. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. No portion of the episode may be distributed or published without the express written permission of the producers. Thanks for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.